vows are made. Uh, you've already made vows today. <laughs> you've said that you will love him forever. And uh, we're going to reaffirm some of those vows later on. Uh, so this is a series on the church that we've started on. Nigel uh, already started with, I will build my church. Uh, and this week we're looking at the Bride of Christ. And I feel, Nigel, you've stitched me up. Um, I'm an emotional person. I can't watch the railway children without blubbering at the daddy, my daddy moment. Um, and, and I had to be at the back there because I couldn't watch Gavin and Stacey coming. That moment when the light catches her and she comes in and everyone's looking around going, whoa. Um, that's the most profound moment in the whole of Gavin. The rest of it is pretty, pretty much down there. <laughs> um, and it's no con- coincidence that uh, you know, there, there, there is uh, a Mrs. Harmon in the room and there will be another Mrs. Harmon uh, before too long, although one of them is uh, Rachel, uh, spelt correctly, and one isn't. Um, and and I, I feel like uh, this is part of the stitch-up in, in that... Um, no, I'll come over and talk to you now, because uh, um, I think this is the nearest I'm going to get to a father of the groom speech, because... <laughs> Because you're not allowed to, to there isn't there isn't a father of the groom speech at a wedding. It's I'm gonna have to shut up. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use it now. All right, okay. Um, but of course, it's a great opportunity for me to put my foot in it and to say things uh, that that are gonna be embarrassing because I don't I don't know about the dress. There's a lot of details I don't know. You don't know. Okay. Phew. But, but my get-out clause is always going to be, but I'm talking about Christ <laughs> and, and the church. So the big idea for this morning is, is that understanding Jesus and, as the bridegroom and the church as the bride will transform this church. Yes. Uh, it will also transform your marriages, those of you who are married. And it will also transform how the future appears to you yes get that right get jesus and the church right get jesus and his bride right and it will transform this church your marriages and how the future appears tim keller who we've been watching uh, this last wednesday uh, in a couple of weeks or whenever we do the next one uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, it's the one after the next one. He gives this lovely illustration. He says, imagine two men working in a widget factory. And they've got the most boring... It's like um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory screwing tops on, on toothpaste. Do you remember that? You know, the most jo- boring job you could imagine. But imagine that one of these has been promised that if he does this for a year, he will receive £10,000. It was dollars in his case, but we'll, we'll add a little bit. Um, um, imagine the other one was told that he'd be given £10 billion. Now, they're doing the same job day in, day out. And one of them is going to get bored. Are you bored with the church? Well, that's because you don't understand how important the church is. 
So that's the big idea. That's where we're heading. Now, marriage in the Bible, it runs from Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply, to Revelation 22. There's even a big focus on marriage in Genesis 2, and there's a big focus on marriage in Revelation 19 and 21. So you could say the whole of the Bible is full of marriage. And it doesn't matter what politicians, it doesn't matter what presidents say, marriage is defined by God. And that's why all of these marriages still say something about what God says about marriage. Now, there are some cultural differences. In, in the Bible, typically, uh, we, they don't have an engagement. They have a betrothal. Uh, then there's a wait, and then there's the wedding feast. Now, a betrothal, as far as they were concerned, is as good as being married, except they're not together. So it's, it's more legally binding than an engagement. A betrothal is a promise and a commitment. It's laying down terms of the marriage. Uh, it's laying down uh, the dowry and all this sort of thing. And sometimes, uh, you know, you, Jacob had to, to, to wait. He had to work for seven years for his Rachel. Uh, it can be arranged. <laughs> but today, uh, we have engagement, and then we have a wait, then we have the wedding, uh, and then we have the wedding night. And um, until that point, our law lets th- the marriage become undone until that point of the consummation of the marriage. So there is a difference. Uh, betrothal versus the wedding night uh, and a sequence of events that gets there. Also, in the Bible... Um, there's so much more emphasis on community and tribes and family. And our society is incredibly individualistic. It's because you're worth it. You wonder whether in some of these weddings it was more about the bride and her big day than about the groom and her desire to look her best for him. And maybe that's why some of those weddings, those marriages, ended on the rocks. Uh, marriage in the New Testament, uh, John the Baptist appears as the prophet, really the, the beginning of the New Testament as it really takes off. And he talks about a bridegroom that's coming. He actually calls himself the best man, the friend of the bridegroom. Jesus himself calls himself the bridegroom. And he gets involved with a lot of weddings uh, right there in in John chapter 2, he's involved with the wedding. But all the time there's this nuance of wedding and marriage going on. And there are parables about weddings. And what's significant about some of these parables is that they include the idea that there's going to be a wait. There has been a betrothal, and there will be a banquet. And there is a wait. There is a long delay, it seems. But actually... It's not because he didn't get himself together, get his act together. Uh, No, there is a determined time when the feast will happen. God knows the time, and we have to wait for that moment. That day will come, but we're in the moment now where we are waiting for Jesus to be united forever with his bride. The promise is there. Uh, we, the church, are married to Jesus already. We are betrothed to him. Yes. But the feast is yet to come. Paul uh, talks a lot about um, sex, marriage, and singleness. Uh, and ultimately, he talks about Jesus as the bridegroom, the husband, 
the head of the body, and the church as the bride, the wife, the body. And the book of Revelation has is, is, uh, got these images of bride and bridegroom as well, as we'll see. Uh, but Revelation is a call for people to persevere during this waiting period. Yes. It, 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 sometimes it feels like it's not going to happen and a lot of things are going wrong. But what the letters to the churches that Jesus writes is, no, I, I am coming. Yes. I am on the throne. And I have the scroll to history and I am unrolling it at my pace to my agenda. Uh, wait and I will come. There's going to be some dreadful judgment before the marriage. And the church's response to this is, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Now, the Bible often uses metaphors to describe things. Um, if you think of something as indescribable, <laughs> it means you're struggling to find the right words to describe it. Um, so Jesus is described as a prophet, a priest, a king, the prophet, the priest, the king. He's des- described as the shepherd and the door, the way, the truth, the life, the servant king, the victim, the victor, the lion, the lamb, the rescuer, the redeemer, the judge, the justifier, and the bridegroom, among other things. <laughs> the church is also described by many different metaphors because not one metaphor is sufficient to describe the church. And that's why we're having a series on the church. Today we're looking at the bride, but we will be looking at other metaphors. Metaphors like a body, a people, a city, a nation, a temple, a building, a tree, a vine, a flock, a family, a host, an army, a bride, bridesmaids, wedding guests, Jesus and the church are indescribable. If we emphasize any one of these metaphors too much, we will be in error. Uh, None of them tells the whole story. That's why we're having a series. But some things are just too amazing for words. And sometimes, um, you know, in in your English, you're probably told at school uh, not to mix metaphors. Like, I'm going to grab the ball by both horns and not beat around the bush, Um, that sort of thing. Well, the Bible isn't afraid to mix metaphors just to make the point that these things are indescribable. So we have the servant king, the lion lamb. And in Revelation uh, 21, it talks about the, the city of God appearing like a bride. So city and bride together. How does a bride look like a city? I guess all fat and wide. Um, No. Um, (laughs) So the church is the bride city and Jesus is the bridegroom lamb. Go figure. But it's important that we don't try to collapse these metaphors and just think one of them is the only one that's true. And then the church, um, just to use some language, just to think about this for a moment, um, when we talk about the church, uh, theologically, we talk about the universal church. That's all believers, all time. 
all that have been given to Jesus by the Father. Uh, we talk about the invisible church. You know, you're all here this morning as we gather as church, but not all of you yet are believers in Jesus. Not all of you are followers of Jesus necessarily. Uh, and there are those who are, those, those who aren't. Now, that's invisible to us. God knows. In fact, it says, the Lord knows them that are his. Uh, there's a local church. Now, this is a local church. We've gathered in a place. Uh, there's a translocal church. <laughs> there's groups of churches working together on a mission. For example, <laughs> New Frontiers. Um, <clears throat> but when we use the metaphor body, uh, we think mostly of the local church. That's the way Paul talks. And he talks about how all the members are all dependent on each other. And when we talk about the bride, we talk mostly about the universal church. But these are not hard and fast. Jesus said where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there with them. Now, uh, I was trying to think of a useful illustration. Do you know Fantasia, Disney's Fantasia, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Mickey Mouse, The Naughty Apprentice? And there's a bit where um, he's made a spell and the brooms are now, the broom is now filling the place with water. Yeah? Remember that bit? And then he can't stop it. So what does he do? He chops it up time and time again. And what do you get? Lots of little brooms. They look just like the big broom, but they're lots of little, little, little brooms. Now there's a sense. Now just, just rewind. There's a sense. That's a metaphor. It's not complete. There's a sense where there is something of the bride of Christ here in completeness as we gather as a church. There is a sense where we are the bride. Yes, we're part of something bigger, but if you zoom in, it looks the same. It has elements of the same. So this applies to us. Uh, We need to raise our game. We need to see the glory of the universal church, but also see how that metaphor applies to us. So Revelation chapter 18, if you'd like to turn to that if you have a Bible. Revelation chapter 18 It, there's, a, there's a little bit to come there's, uh, when we get there in 19. Okay, just going to read a few verses from 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen, Babylon the great. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Verse 8. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with the fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, For in a single hour, your judgment has come. 
chapter 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, great and small. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to be clo- to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Could you see there how the judgment is, comes just before the wedding? Uh, there's a contrast uh, in the, the terms that are being used as the harlot, the, the prostitute, and then there's the bride. There's the fallen city, Babylon. And then as we come to chapter 21, we see the city descending from heaven like a bride. So why should you care? Well... You're either part of the church, the bride, or you're part of Babylon. That's the big divide. (laughs) Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And guess what? You are invited. You're all invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, Jesus told a parable about this. He said... Uh, there was a man who, who uh, wanted uh, to to have um, a banquet, uh, and he goes and he has a wedding list, and he starts inviting people. And uh, do you know the song? Uh, I have bought me a wife. I have married a cow. No, no. I have married a wife. I have bought me a cow. I have fields and commitments. Do you remember that one? No. 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 <laughs> Does anyone know that one? Yes. Oh, I cannot come to the banquet. And you see, what happens is the people who are invited, one by one, they give excuses. Um, now, every other Tuesday, we have a prayer meeting. <laughs> uh, every Wednesday, we, get, we meet together as family. Um, please don't make excuses. <laughs> uh, you're invited to that, too. <laughs> you're invited. Um, I'm sure there are things you could do, but there's nothing better than being part of the bride. But if you don't know Jesus, you are invited. You're invited. And what happens is the, 
the master who's putting on the banquet gets so frustrated that people are making excuses. He goes and invites other people. Now, there's a church in Deeside where we live called part of the Light and Life group of churches. Now, they're a gypsy church, Romany gypsies. In, they meet in, in Deeside. They come from quite a long way around. And they actually have a thing on their, on their literature that says that the master has said, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And they say, Jesus must be coming soon because he's invited us too. Isn't that brilliant? Do you realize that you're invited? Do you, do you realize that you're invited? What a wonderful response to the, the invitation from Jesus. To see yourself so humbly, but to see, wow, he wants me to come. Why should I care? See how much Jesus loves his church. There's a bit of it in some of that video. You, you would have seen the groom looking and there's that moment. Now, there's the best wedding I've ever been to was on the 14th of September, 1986. <laughs> Five. <laughs> <coughs> I remember the date. Is it 27 years? Is it? Wow. But there was that moment when I looked. Wow. Wow. That moment. And I saw Rachel as I'd never seen her before. Wow. How much Jesus loves the church. He looks at the church and he goes, wow. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He gave himself. What does that mean? He gave himself. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He gave himself. He gave his very life as a ransom for his bride. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a parable that I think is misinterpreted, the parable of the pearl. I know about the treasure in the field, but if you read the way it's written, I found one commentator who agrees. This is my bit of controversy, all right? The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had. 
and bought it. I actually think that's about Jesus. And we find the treasure in the field and then we sell everything. It's the language. It's the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Jesus thinks so much of the church that he gave everything he had to buy it. And price determines the value. There was a painting sold recently for made a it was over a hundred million, wasn't it? Some a scream. <laughs> scream. Um the, the rec set the record for um for auctions and I think the auction house took 40% phew <laughs> it's nice work if you can get it isn't it you see the price that defines the value this is the lamb of God that was slain for the church slain for the church so love what Jesus loves. See how much he loves the church and love what Jesus loves. Rupert and Fleur aren't here so we can say whatever we like. But Fleur loves red squirrels. She didn't always. She loves watching whales at rugby. And she loves Cardiff City. Even with a different strip. Uh, She didn't always, but then she met someone who she loved, who loved those things. And the poor girl can't help herself. <laughs> um, Rachel, with one A, the correct number of A's, uh, loves wine, astronomy, cycling, and red dwarf. Is this true? <laughs> she didn't used to love any of those things. Do you love what Jesus loves? That's an important question, actually. Do you love what Jesus loves? Because if you don't, you need to doubt whether or not you're a Christian. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Do you love the church? Or would you rather be somewhere else this morning? Why should I care about the wedding? Why should I care about Jesus and the church? Well, Jesus and the church is the last word in marriage. It's the last word in weddings. Um, When we use the phrase the last word, we think of there is nothing that can follow this. Uh, England and Germany, 1966, that could never be repeated. (coughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, you got it. (laughs) Uh, Walking on the moon. Everyone lost interest in going to the moon after Neil Armstrong had done it once. Music. Um, Is there anything better than Motown or Marla or the St. Matthew Passion or Pink Floyd comfortably numb at Live 8. I, I watched that the other day and I was transfixed. That, oh, because you know, another one's died since. So That's not going to be right. Last word in cars. Is it Bentley? No. no. <laughs> Mercedes? No. Yes. Uh, Lamborghini Aventador? 
or Kashkai. <laughs> the last word in luxury and safety, Titanic. <laughs> or Costa Concordia. Um, <laughs> the last word in mobile phones, thank you. Um, there is no other. What's that playbook thing? Um, computers. Yeah, the last word in computers is a MacBook, an iMac, or an iPad. We know that, don't we? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> and the last word in printers is a brother. <laughs> MFC 997 CDW all in one. You Facebook that. Yeah. <laughs> what is your status? My <laughs> status is a printer. It's for... It's to illustrate... <laughs> It was to illustrate that we get very excited about some things and we, we think that something is the pinnacle of something. But actually, when it comes to marriage, the great wedding to come is the wedding to end all weddings, literally. When you've had the ultimate marriage, there is no more marriage you understand that jesus said there is no giving and receiving in marriage in the kingdom to come why every marriage points forward to that marriage i am speaking about christ and the church says paul every marriage including the ones you saw on here including the fake ones is pointing forward to the great marriage. And when that marriage has happened, there is no more marriage. That's it. When you've got the thing pointed to, you don't need the pointers anymore. We know this is true. Sacrifice. The Old Testament, hundreds, thousands of years of bloody sacrifice, pointing forward to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. When the ultimate sacrifice is made, there is no more sacrifice. Jesus has suffered once and for all time. He has been sacrificed. There is no more sacrifice. The pointers are not needed anymore because the real thing has happened. And your marriage, however wonderful it is, will not be needed when Jesus comes again because he is the ultimate marriage, the ultimate wedding. So if your theology can't cope with that, you need to go back to the Bible and read that. If you're worried about the fact that you're not married now, worry more about, am I part of the church? And am I ready for Jesus to come again? I even heard somebody recently say they were worried that there was no marriage in heaven. What if I don't get a chance to marry here? Surely I must get a chance to marry in heaven. That's not understanding what marriage is about. It's about Christ and his church. And the ultimate wedding is coming and it will do away with all weddings. That's how great and how marvelous it is. And if you don't get that, it's no surprise you don't turn up on time. We are to prepare for the greatest wedding ever. Rumour has it there's quite a lot of preparation going on in the Lloyd household at the moment. Um, there is a lot of preparation going on. 
Uh, there are secret plans being made. Tim has no idea quite how much is going on for him. You. <laughs> <laughs> The bride has made herself ready. Preparations, things have to be done. Uh, Rachel, the one with 1A, um, made her own wedding dress. And she sewed by hand 10 meters of hem. Silly girl. That's what sewing machines are for, isn't it? Uh, Now, isn't that devotion to a task? Ten meters of stitching a hem by hand with tiny stitches so so it would look nice. I didn't make my own suit. I'm not the bride. I was the groom. We have to talk about this after, okay? Um, Think of the, 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 the washing, the hair, the nails, the makeup, the jewelry, the flowers... Bridesmaids aren't just there to look pretty. They're there to help with the preparation. It's the first time someone's... <laughs> 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 and on the, on the day, there will be a lot of last-minute fussing about. No, we're chilled. No, you're chilled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I, <laughs> I had uh, the privilege of going to a wedding uh, some friends a few years ago when uh, I think... AJ was tiny, or Abby, and uh, one of the little ones needed taking out to the loo just as the, arrive- the, the bride had arrived. And so I went out t- to the, the foyer of this big church, and um, there was the bride with the bridesmaids, and there were last-minute adjustments being made. And it was quite something to see. Um, everything had to be perfect and in place, and I believe somebody even has a list of what he has to do uh, to make sure that everything is properly in its place. Uh, a lot of preparation and for that one moment. When my brother-in-law saw my older si- sister, uh, he said afterwards that in his speech, I said, so beautifully wrapped. <laughs> um, because she thinks... He is worth it. Church, is Jesus worth it? I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Why should we care about Christ and the church? Because he is worth it. The lamb, the bridegroom, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Is that your heart? You were singing it earlier. You were singing your devotion to him earlier. There is a little theological issue here. Um, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the church. Uh, Now, there's a lot of debate recently about justification and about uh, double imputation and all this jargon that you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. <sighs> there is theology that says that Jesus justifies us and imputes righteousness to us. So he deals with our sin, he washes us and cleanses, takes away our sin, 
and then we are given his righteousness. So there's a double act that happens. We sing about it in my favorite song, The God of Time and Eternity, if you notice that. We exchange through his life and death guilty stains for his righteousness. That's double imputation. He takes our guilt and sin. We receive his righteousness. And his righteousness is the real deal. And the way we understand that is it's given to us. So it is our righteousness. But we boast in him. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Galatians 6, 4. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. It's not just about potential good works. It's not like you could do good works. No, you have to walk in them. And they are good works. And you're going to do them. John has seen it. He's seen it. When the bride arrives, she has prepared herself and she is clothed in righteous acts and these are the righteous deeds of the saints. So you can do it, church. It's not just theory. You can walk in this. That's why you should care. That's why we should be preparing. Fine linen, bright and pure bright dazzling radiant can be seen it's not this little highlight of mine I'm going to hide it away under a bushel no it's this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine but church together Jesus says a city on a hill cannot be hidden he says you don't take a lamp and put it under a bowl you put it on a lampstand It's interesting that when Jesus writes to the churches in Revelation, he talks about lampstands. Together, we have a light and we have to make it shine. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people like a lamp lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So it's visible. So you can see it. So what does it look like on a Sunday morning? Why do we care about how the chairs are laid out? You ever thought about that? Why do we care about having nice cake and biscuits to eat not broken biscuits as some are in the habit of doing Um, (laughs) and why do we always start on time (laughs) 
Was it? And be punctual. I oh, know. And be thankful, isn't it? And, and, and be <laughs> Come on, church. Make yourself ready. This is a way that we are seen. This is visible. This is bright. Do we care about the details? We should do. The bride cares about the details. Every last one. She wants to be spotless. She wants to make sure there's nothing out of place. Every last fold of the dress is in the right place. Every last hair is in the right place. The makeup is perfectly applied. Perfectly aligned. What does it look like on a Sunday or Wednesday evening? Well, it's visible. In Acts 2, we're told that the early church were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer. You can see that. You know, if they're devoted to know they're sat in front of the telly or they've gone off for the weekend somewhere else. Come on, church. Make yourself ready. He's worth it. What does it look like day to day? Um, could you turn to Colossians chapter 3? I just want to read a, a big chunk and it'll be easier for you. What does it look like day to day? It looks like moral purity. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, (coughs) obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put on the new self with its practices. And have put on, sorry, the new self, you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the creator's image. Here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart and be punctual. 
I know. <laughs> and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it because he's worth it. So the church, we're to, we're to live lives that are morally pure. We're to let our light shine. It's to be visible. To be a radiant bride without spot or wrinkle. And we're to be doctrinally pure as well. Listen to this. I, I was surprised by this, but um, a book called... Um, I Believe in Church by David Watson and he points this out um, 2 Corinthians 11 2-4 Paul says I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ so what is he going to talk about moral purity he says no but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. (coughs) For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it too readily enough. So our purity is to be moral purity, but we have to be people of the truth as well. The truth, the gospel... We have to stand for the gospel. That's why we have a course that we're going through on Wednesdays, some of the Wednesdays, you don't know which, called Gospel in Life. The gospel has to be the heart of our community. That's how we become a radiant bride, holding to the truth. But it's really important what Nigel (laughs) brought to us earlier about love. A wedding without love is a sham. David Watson quotes from Francis Schaeffer, We must ask, do I fight merely for doctrinal faithfulness? This is like the wife who never sleeps with anybody else but never shows love to her husband. Is that a sufficient relationship for marriage? No, 10,000 times no. Yet if I am a Christian who speaks and acts for doctrinal faithfulness, but do not show love to my divine bridegroom, I am in the same place as such a wife. What God wants from us is not only doctrinal faithfulness, but our love day by day not in theory but in practice those who are are children of God must realise the seriousness of modern apostasy we must urge each other not to have any part in it but at the same time we must be loving true bride of the true divine bridegroom in reality and in practice day by day in the midst of spiritual adultery in our day. Our call is first to be the bride, faithful, not to be... But that is not the total call. The call 
is not only to be the bride faithful, but also the bride in love. Uh, John Piper gives a wonderful illustration of our heart. He talks about, in very glowing terms, of his wife, Noel. And he says, um, imagine, as I do, and I'm I'm already feeling a little bit... uh, admonished by this that I turn up on the doorstep with 20 red roses 24 red roses and I ring the doorbell now Noel is not expecting me <laughs> to ring the doorbell because I have a key so she comes to the door and opens it and is surprised to see me there with the flowers there for you and she says why and I say I'm your husband it's my duty <laughs> what husbands do the door would be slammed (laughs) no the correct response is (laughs) I just couldn't help myself I just love you so much I want you to have these that must be the heart of the church for Jesus that's how we are to love as the bride our bridegroom passionately strongly exuberantly, extravagantly, ridiculously, (laughs) 10 metres of hand sewing Hemley. (laughs) Is that how you feel about the church? Is that how you feel about Jesus? Now, I'm going to do something quite tricky now and it's going to make some people feel awkward perhaps I would like everyone who was at the prayer meeting last Sunday to stand please now I understand that uh, some of you guys couldn't be there for various reasons and that's great it's not great for you is it and we'd, we'd love to have you there with us I'd like now everyone else who is who's done the foundations course with us and would consider themselves uh, a member of Gateway Church. If you could stand too, please. That's everyone who's done the foundations course. and right, that's cool. And those of you who would want to be part of Gateway Church and who want to explore this further, who want to look into foundations and all that sort of stuff, but who want to stand to be part of the bride that is expressed here at Gateway in Wrexham. Would you stand as well, please? Great. Right, we're going to have a little wedding ceremony. Uh, You've already shown that you can make vows because you sung them. So we're going to make it a little bit more formal. I have some vows here now. Um, The hint, Tim, is when it's do you, you say I do, okay? Um, And when it's will you, you say I will, okay? So everyone got that? So if it's do you, it's I do. Uh, But but today, because we're expressing bodiness... We're going to say, we do. So when I say, do you, you say, we do.
And when I say, will you, you say, we will. Is that okay? And I'm going to test, you know, it better be emphatic. Um, the reason it better be emphatic is because I'm not engineering this in any way. These are all scriptural. So um, if you can't say the we do or the we will, you might as well sit down. Romans 10, verse 9. Do you, church, do you confess with your mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? We do. do. Whoa, good. Keep them going like that. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Will you devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer? We We will. will. That's good. Matthew 5, verse 16. Will you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We We will. will. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. Will you see to it, bride, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God? We We will. will. A bit more emphatic, please. We We will. Right. Will you encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness we will Hebrews 10:24 will you consider how we may spare spur one another on towards love and good deeds we will, we will. Will you not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching? We We will. will. (laughs) Great. Now, it's a two-sided agreement and I have to declare these in the name of Jesus. These are things that he has said. Listen out for the I will. John 6, 37... All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. (sighs) Matthew 18. When two or three are gathered in my name... I will be among them. Yes. Matthew 28, verse 20. I will be with you always. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. Revelation 3, 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. Church, he says that to you. He's talking to you, church. If you'll open the door, he'll come in and eat with you. 
The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Right, I shall use the words of Peter now to make a pronouncement. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.